Good morning, everyone. Currently, we're looking at four women that God used behind the scenes in the exodus of God's people out of bondage in Egypt. As you recall, that God's people were in bondage in Egypt because of a great famine. But over time, the population of the Israelites grew to a point that they were more in number than the Egyptians. And the Egyptian king became concerned that the people of Israel would overthrow his country and take control of the country. So he ordered that the Israelites would be made slaves. And he appointed taskmasters so that these Israelites would have to do hard labor. And, and they afflicted them with this labor and these long hours of hard work. Now the king's idea that uh, the people of God would be so tired and so wore out over after all this hard labor for many, many hours a day that they wouldn't have any strength to procreate. They didn't have any, but it didn't work. <laughs> Seems like everybody always has enough strength for that, right? But uh, it, his plan didn't work, so he developed a new plan that we looked at last week. And so the Hebrews had uh, midwives that would help them in the delivery of their children. And he ordered the midwives to kill the baby boys as soon as the child was delivered. And it was discovered that it was a boy child. They were to kill the child. And but we see, as we saw last week, there was two midwives who were women of faith who did the right thing, and they developed a plan. They taught it to the other midwives, and basically, it just uh, caused the Pharaoh's plan to disintegrate. Actually, the scripture says that they they actually became even more numerous. It says, it says like this: God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. Wow. So, since he couldn't count on the midwives to do his evil deeds, he decreed a new plan. And this was for all the people. And saying, every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. So, the king ordered that everyone, everyone who found a Hebrew baby boy was to take that child throw the child into the Nile River to drown and eventually be eaten by crocodiles. So, that brings us to today's text in Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Hear now the word of God. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could not hide him no longer, when she could hide him not, no longer, she got a whisk, wicker basket and covered it with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it amongst the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens along, walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket amongst the reeds and she sent her maid and she brought it to her. And she opened it and saw the child. And behold, the boy was crying. She had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. 
Then his sister said to the Pharaoh, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses, because I drew him out of the water. That finishes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Now, the book of Numbers tells us that this woman that is talked about in this text, that her name is Jochebed. And Jochebed is married to a man by the name of Ahem. Now, other scriptures that tells us that Jochebed already had two other children. She had an older daughter, Miriam, who is mentioned in today's text, and Miriam would have been about 10 years old at this time. But she also had a, a, a son whose name was Aaron, and Aaron would have been about three years old at this time. So both Miriam and Aaron, well, they were born before Pharaoh imposed this murderous decree that we see in our text this morning. But then Jochebed discovers that she's pregnant with a third child. Now, usually the announcement of being pregnant is supposed to be a happy occasion, but because of the king's new law, well, it cast a shadow of despair upon the whole family. Uh, today we have these gender reveal parties where we cut cake and open boxes of balloon or shoot pink or blue powder into the air. Uh, my nephew actually had a target practice and he brought out his gun uh, and shot the target and it, and it came out the powder. It's kind of weird, but yeah, I guess you can say he was creative, right? And he likes guns and that kind of stuff, so I guess it all works. But anyway, but uh, back in the day, especially back in Pharaoh's day, you didn't know what the child's gender was until the child was born. You had to wait. Now, we all know that pregnancy creates all sorts of anxieties, but this king's edict must have made things a hundred times worse for Jochebed and her husband and kids. But after nine months, the day finally came when Jochebed bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. Now, let's face it, everyone thinks their little baby is beautiful. I've never heard anyone say, that is an ugly baby. It just never happens. They all, oh, so cute, looky there. But it seems that there is something special, something extra special about this baby boy that's mentioned in the text. Actually, the original word that is translated in our text, beautiful, actually denotes something more than just physical beauty. There was something more going on here about this child. And it seems like his parents knew it. When you go deeper in the scripture, you'll find out in the book of Acts, chapter 7, when Stephen is giving his Old Testament history lesson there, 
we see that he kind of gives us more insight when he talks about Moses' birth and he writes that he was no ordinary child. So you take he was beautiful, something more beyond being uh, just physical, and then you take Stephen's words that he was no ordinary child. It seems that God's trying to create in our own minds that there's something special going on here with this baby. Now, we see that the text is trying to tell us that maybe God has some extraordinary plans for this kid. Now, every parent thinks that their child is special. I've never heard a mother say, oh, he'll grow up and be a loser. I mean, I've never, I've never heard that, you know, especially when they're young, when they're young, you know, when they're babies and we gaze into their eyes and, you know, we hear words like, well, maybe he'll be a, the president one day. Well, we don't wish that curse upon him. But, you know, the, the idea is that he, he, this, this kid's special. He's going to be something special. But you see, it's even more than that. Because in the book of Hebrews, when the writer of Hebrews talks about Moses' birth, he gives us even more insights in what was going on here. The writer of Hebrew writes, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw that he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So it seems to me that the writer of Hebrews is trying to put a cap on this whole thing by making the point that Jochebed and her her husband were walking by faith. There were people of faith. And that's what makes this whole story special. They were people of faith. If you kind of like bring this verse down, it's by faith Moses' parents were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith. You see, their faith in God overcame their fear of the king's edict. This work of grace, where God, when God fortifies our faith in the midst of fearful opposition... This is something that every believer should seek God's work in their heart. Thank you, Edwin. But I'm going to get more than just one amen. This work, this work of God's grace, when he fortifies our faith during the midst of opposition, is something that every believer must seek God for. Thank you, class. You got you to know, you got to help the preacher out every once in a while, all right? All right. Our prayer should be God, by your spirit, fortify my faith so that I am not afraid of what is confronting me. God, by your spirit, fortify my faith so that I'm not afraid of what is confronting me. And someone here today needs to pray that prayer. Something is confronting you, and you need God to fortify your faith. God, by your grace, by your spirit, fortify my faith so that I am not afraid of what is confronting me. You see, Jochebed and her husband, they came to a full conviction that the Lord is with me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? It seems to me that they had a full assurance by the Holy Ghost 
that they could declare that in God I put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Their faith in God. This is what makes this whole thing special. Their faith that God is going to make a way where there seems to be no way. Now, the writer of Hebrews tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things not seen. And it seems to me that God was doing that type of work in Jochebed's heart and life, giving her full assurance of the things that she was hoping for and a full conviction of the things that she couldn't see. But she had faith. Jochebed could not see how God was going to make a way, but she had faith in the almighty God. Amen. And that's what God wants to do in each one of us. They had faith that God would make a way. So what did they do? They held on to that boy for three months. For three months, they concealed the boy's gender from those around them, and they waited. They waited for a plan to follow. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that God gave Jochebed some special revelation or some prophecy to develop the plan that she came up with. As a matter of fact, the text just simply reads, but when, but when she hid but she could hide him when she could hide him no longer. She got a wicker basket and covered it with tar and pitch. Then she put the child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. What? I mean, this is something that she must have been praying over for a long time. Uh, you know, we all know this is one of the most popular Sunday school stories in the history of Christianity and probably even back in the synagogues as well. But when you look at it at its face value, it's like, she did what? Where did she come up with this plan? You see, after three months, it seemed that she came to the conclusion that she couldn't hide this child any longer. After three months, it seems that it came to her that she could no longer conceal the child's gender. After three months, she came to the conclusion that she has held on as long as she could. But now it was time to let go and let God. And you talk about faith. Sometimes it's easier to have faith to hold on. She didn't surrender her faith at this moment. It seems to me that she had even more faith. To get a wicker basket and put tar and pitch on it and put the child in the river Nile amongst these reeds. Girl, what are you thinking? But she believed God was going to make a way. So she had to let go. I think in her heart she wanted to hold on to that baby for his whole life. But she knew that sooner or later, everybody would find out it was a boy. And then what? So she believed that God would give her the faith to let go. Now there's times when we know we can't hold on any longer. 
We've worked so hard. We've invested so much. But in our heart, we know that it's time to let go and trust God. And we have to admit that it's very difficult for us to trust God during these times of transitions. But we, we, we must seek God to have faith to hold on. And we must have faith in God to let go. Jochebed, well, she took all the precautions necessary to keep this child faith safe by finding the basket and covering it with tar. She chose the exact place where she's going to put the child and then by the reeds of the Nile so that the basket wouldn't float away down the river. Maybe, maybe, we don't know for sure, but maybe she knew that the, the king's daughter bathed there. Maybe she knew that Pharaoh's daughter would have compassion on this beautiful baby. But just in case something went wrong, she positioned her, 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 her oldest daughter, Miriam, which was about 10 years old at this time, to make sure that she would keep watch, make sure what happened. Maybe Jochebed had long talks with Miriam, telling her what to say to Pharaoh's daughter if the plan actually started to work out the way they were hoping to. Regardless of what Jochebed knew or what she didn't know, this plan, when you look at it, is a perfect balance of faith in God, trust in his providence, and taking action. That's a trifecta of God working in a person's heart. We see she had faith in God. She trusted in God's providence and she took action. The Apostle James says faith without works, well, it's worthless. And we see that this woman not only had faith in works or faith in action, but she trusted the providence of God. She didn't know what exactly was going to go down that day, but she was willing to let go and let God by having faith Trusting and taking action. So the story, of course, you've read it, heard it. She puts the child in the basket by the reeds of the Nile. Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river to bathe. Many commentators believe that this was a, some sort of religious ritual that she was going to to do. She had her maidens with her. As she started her bathing process, she saw the basket, asked one of the maidens to bring it over. She opened it up. When she opened it up, the baby started crying, and she knew immediately that it was a baby boy. She should have drowned it. She should have stuck her hand in that basket and pushed it down to the bottom of the Nile River and watched the bubbles come up. No, God worked in her heart too. And Miriam, this 10-year-old girl, oh my gosh, she runs over there. <laughs> hey, would you like for me to go get one of the Hebrew women that I know is nursing to come over and help you out here? And uh, if the Pharaoh's daughter is so remarkable. Yeah, go ahead. It's like, what? What just happened? It's like a cartoon. 
So she goes and she gets Jochebed, brings Jochebed back, and Pharaoh's daughter says, yeah, you nurse the child, you take care of the child, and, and I'm going to pay you. A slave's getting paid. And she does that. Eventually the child is old enough to bring back the Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter, and she adopts him as a prince of Egypt. The plan, it, well, it worked out. It worked out even better than I think that they would have ever imagined it did. The baby not only lives, but the mom still gets to care for her child, and now she gets paid. The baby lives not as a child of a slave, but the baby lives as the prince of Egypt. You know, that is just the way God works, isn't it? Moses would be educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and the Bible tells us that he would become a man of great power in, in, in words and in deeds. The one who was drawn out became the one that God used to draw out his people out of the bondage of slavery. Truly, the mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord is the one who directs his steps. Amen? The Bible tells us that God says, I know the plans I have, have for you, declares the Lord, plans of welfare, not for evil, and to give you a future and a hope. Now it seems that Jochebed had an ongoing relationship with Moses throughout his life. She did surrender the child back to Pharaoh's daughter, but it seemed that she still maintained influence. And where we get this is that the writer of Hebrews gives us insights behind the relationship that Jochebed had with Moses. This is the text. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, he was, for he was looking to the reward. I'm telling you, he didn't learn that in the Egyptian schools. With all of his learning and knowledge, they never taught him those things. Where did Moses learn those things? Jochebed. Jochebed. Jochebed took time to teach Moses about his true heritage as a child of God in God's family. And we have to take time to teach our children and one another that we're members of God's family. Jochebed took time to teach Moses the virtue of holy living instead of enjoying the passing pleasures of sin. Jochebed taught him how to endure ill treatment. And most importantly, Jochebed taught him that the greatest treasure in this life is Christ. And that Moses should look to Christ for rewards. These are treasures that godly parents give to their children. And she had a lot to work against, but she was not going to forfeit the opportunity to invest these treasures of truth into Moses' life. And it seems that Jochebed not only taught 
these treasures of truth, these godly principles to Moses, but it seems that she taught it to Miriam, his oldest sister, and, her, and, and, and Aaron, his older brother, too. Do you realize that Jochebed, as she raised her family, she invested herself into a future prophetess, Miriam. She invested herself into the future high priest, Aaron. She invested herself into the future liberator and national leader, one of the greatest in all world history. And when she was investing herself in these ways, she never had a clue that Miriam would turn out to be a prophetess or Aaron would turn out to be the high priest or Moses would turn out to be the deliverer of God's people. She just did it because that's what God's people do. She didn't know what the future held, but she knew what the scripture called her to do. And she did it. I tell you, this is one woman that you can admire. In many ways, she doesn't get the press, but she's the deliverer of the children of God. She, she, she raised Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. The people of God wouldn't have a clue what to do if it wasn't for those three. Where did they get this stuff, her? So we have to ask ourselves as we close this morning, how did Jochebed, how was she able to stand firm in her faith? How was she able to accomplish so much? Was she a strict disciplinarian? Was she a nurturing mother? Was she an overachiever? The fact is, we don't know anything about her personality or her parenting style. But we do know what her name means. Her name means, Jehovah is my glory. The Lord is my glory. And it seems to me that this was a guiding principle for her life. The Lord is my glory. Can we say it together? The Lord is my glory. The Lord is my glory. This seems to be the guiding principle in her life. She had no way of knowing what the future held. She didn't have any idea of what, how the plan would work out. She only knew that the Lord was her glory. And she was going to live for the Lord. The Bible tells us that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we should do it for the glory of God. She knew that a person's number one purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Amen? Amen? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Jochebed, the Lord is my glory. This morning we have a great opportunity to confess our faith to the Lord through receiving the supper. The table set behind me is the Lord's table. It's not the table of this church nor the table of this denomination. This is the Lord's table. Therefore, all those who receive from it are to be believers in Christ Jesus, the great deliverer, the Son of God. On this table are two simple elements, the two simple elements of our faith, the bread representing his body, which was broken for us, and the cup representing his blood, which was shed for us. These are symbols of our salvation, that through the obedience of Christ, our God was satisfied and has poured out upon us his righteousness. Amen? Amen. 
The Bible tells us to examine our hearts before we receive the supper. And I'm going to ask you to do that in just a moment. But I'm going to give you some directions based upon the text that we read this morning. Some of you need to really seek the Lord to let go of the fears in your life and let God give you faith, the faith that you need. Some of you need to let go of the fears in your life and ask God to give you the faith that you need. Some of you need to let go of the thing that you're holding on to so that God will work wonders in your life. But all of us should let go of all of our attempts to earn forgiveness and salvation and let God bless us with Christ's atonement. Amen? I'm asking you, as we prepare our hearts to receive the supper this morning, to let go and let God be your glory. Lord, we come to this table today confessing that we often fret, that we're often envious. Lord, we often lack the faith we need to truly glorify you in the way that you deserve. But we come to this table thanking you for sending your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the faithful one who accomplished all things so that we might be saved. So, Lord, we come to this table this morning hungry and thirsty for the righteousness of Christ. And we pray, Lord, that as we eat this bread and drink this cup, that you will fortify our faith so that we can let go and let God. Lord, minister to each one of us individually in a special way so that you would be our glory. And we pray these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.